And I'm blessed to be back in the pulpit with you. Last week, Nate Strobel kicked off our August series titled On Purpose. You are here today, in the year of our Lord, 2019, by accident. This wasn't just a, a happenstance. You're here on purpose, by God's purpose, and for his purpose, to serve his mission. That's the theme of our series. You can see where our church is located, right here in Maple Valley, and, and the reach in the whole region. And God's mission is nothing less and nothing short than rescuing his people and restoring his creation. Now, uh, the Lord doesn't need any help. The Bible says that the Lord doesn't need helpers, and yet God is designated. He has, in his own sovereign will, has said, you know what, I'm going to invite you to be a part of my work for a special role for Christians. And not just individual Christians, not lone ranger Christians, but for the whole church, followers of Jesus in grace and truth in every aspect of our life on purpose. And that's what we're talking about this whole month. So Dave shared a, a personal and passionate uh, look at the extraordinary things God used, does through the ordinary disciplines, the, the daily habits of, of everyday Christians. So God can do extraordinary things through those, those ordinary things that we commit ourselves to in fulfilling the mission of God. So here we are on purpose. We, we're not here by accident. We're here on purpose. And that purpose is God's mission to rescue and restore his world. And that mission touches every area of our life, which we talked for a long time about last week. And through the ordinary Christian living, God does extraordinary things to fulfill his mission. Today we're going to look at a passage in which the Lord Jesus deploys his followers, his first disciples, on that mission. He gives them a vision of where, where he wants them to go, and then a mission, a strategy of, of what he wants them to do when they get there. I believe it's a very relevant message for us today. I believe it's an encouraging message. It's a challenging message. It's one we need to hear today before the coming fall kickoff. Uh, when is shared with the whole congregation uh, the vision mission statement for the next five years where we see God leading us. So that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? So we're going to open God's word. We're going to see the vision and mission that Jesus gives to his disciples and, and, and what happens. I'd like to invite Dana to come. She's going to need that handheld mic. David, if you have it up front. And let's stand together to honor God's word. We'll be reading from Luke's gospel, chapter 10, those first 12 verses. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give to you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. 
When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Please be seated. And so we have here the, the, the vision that Jesus lays out at the very beginning, and then the mission. First, the, the, the vision, of the, the direction of where he wants to send his people. Where is God sending us as a church? Well, he's been sending us in the same direction for a long time, and this is our, our vision statement here on the screen. Live missional lives that communicate the transformative love of God through authentic relationships and acts of compassion. This, this vision statement encapsulates the vision that we're about to look at in these very verses from Luke 10. So remember this, write it down or look on the website. This is the, the vision statement where we believe God's been leading our church for some time. And you'll see how it parallels what we're gonna look at. We're gonna understand what it means living missional lives communicating something of God's love that's transformative through, through relationships that are real, not fake, but authentic, and through acts of compassion. And so let's turn our attention again to the passage. Jesus appoints 72 of his, of his disciples and directs them to go door to door in every Jewish town to declare that the king has come. They're to embody the good news. They're to preach it. They're, they're, they're to live it out. And even, uh, as Gay read, they are to supernaturally heal sickness in Jesus' name, all on purpose for God's mission. Now, up until this point, uh, if, if we were to do a long study in the Gospel of Luke, up to this point, Jesus is, is simply calling people to come and follow him, follow his lead. So he's the leader, and they're falling behind. Now there's a turn, there's a change. Now he's sending his disciples out ahead of him to prepare the towns and the people. Uh, he's giving them a job to do to prepare the way for his arrival. Now, if we look back just one chapter in, in Luke chapter 9, he does this with the 12, 11 of whom will be apostles, right? He sends them to a place called Samaria. And we read in Luke's gospel that that first mission of his, his core team of 12, it didn't go so well. In fact, the Samaritans rejected them. They rejected the message of Jesus. Why? It's so interesting. Because it says, when they asked further questions, they said, well, Jesus is not staying here in Samaria. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And they took offense to that. And so the message didn't land on those people because they selfishly wanted it only for themselves. So reading into the text, but that's really what's going on here. And yet, even when they return with bad news, it didn't go well, Jesus. Jesus doesn't change his strategy. No, he, he doubles down on the strategy by sending another 36 pairs of disciples. Look at verse 1. He sends them, it says, quote, to every town and place where he was about to go. And then in verse 2, and this echoes our last sermon series about kingdom parables, these parables that had 
very much in, uh, agricultural or farming illustrations or things that people can relate to. He, he gives them a, this vision that relates to that, that series. He says he, he told them, quote, the harvest is what? Plentiful, but the workers are few. So Jesus gives them this very hopeful, very, very happy image. When the harvest is ready, that's a happy time. That's payday, right? And yet he says that the harvest is ready to be gathered in, but the people resources, the resources of the workers are few. So he tells his disciples what, what to do. Ask the Lord of the harvest. What does it mean to ask? It means to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Send out workers. Apostello. Send out the sent ones into his harvesting. And so that's the direction. To pray. Pray, Lord, please send out the workers into the field. And what's the answer to the prayer? You. You're the answer to the prayer. Cammy comes up here and says, we're just praying. Lord, send out the workers. Oh, great. You're all here. Get to work. To fulfill our, our purpose as a church, the, the mission of God, our, our plans, number one, must be of the Lord. They must be grounded in Scripture. And, and thirdly, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. That comes through prayer. We need to, to strengthen and have even more of a robust prayer ministry. And we need one another. We need each other. We need to gather all the resources we have in this room. And when you leave, we'll have a whole other room. Folks, we need to come all together. Just as Jesus sends out two by two, so we need each other. Now, attached to this happy vision, look at it. This, this ripe for the picking harvest. It's very, it's very happy. But then Jesus gives a very serious, sober picture that they will face when they go out. Look at verse 3. He says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. What do wolves do to lambs? They eat them, right? Oh, what kind of pep talk is this? But, but see, Jesus does not sugarcoat the opposition they will face. You know, we often think of and, and focus on how loving Jesus is, he is, and how humble Jesus is, and he is, and how courageous Jesus is. But we don't spend much time on how brilliant, the genius leadership, the brilliance of Jesus to motivate, but also to prepare his people. I mean, look at what he's doing here. Before this scene, at the end of chapter 9, just, just to help us understand the context of this sending out, Luke records some of the kinds of excuses would-be disciples would share with Jesus. And we might see it as, well, that's just the way things are. People are busy. Everyone's busy. I mean, no one could be like Brian Kelly and serve for 12 years, right? We can make up excuses and make apologies for each other. Luke just inserts this little example of people who say, Jesus, I'll follow you. I just have a few other duties I have to take care of first. Or, hey, Jesus, I'll be right with you. Let me just take care of a few things. I'll be right with you. On the surface, no big deal. But Jesus says it is a big deal. He says his calling is so radical, there's no time for anything else. So, so radical, there's no excuses. Even the care of family, Jesus says to these would-be disciples. Look what he says. He says in verse uh, 62 of chapter 9. 
No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine if we put that on the say yes sign? But this is an absolutely critical moment in the mission. This is the handoff moment. This is before Calvary. This is before the tomb. This is before victory. Jesus is going to hand off this ministry and this authority to his disciples. And there's no room for compromise. So brilliantly, as much as he's inspiring them with this happy vision of a harvest that's ready to be brought in, he also lays out the, the, the enemy that they will face. And that they're going out like lambs among, uh, before wolves, that they, they are defenseless without what? Without whom? Without fully relying on God. Jesus knows that the opposition will be fiercely against this radical call. Yet he doesn't water down the calling. He steps it up. He wants absolute commitment from his followers. Why? Because he knows how treacherous it is what they're going to face. He's already sent out 12. Now he's sending out a whole different set. It says uh, another 72. So this isn't this, the 12 are doing their thing. Now this is another 72. Harvest is ready. That's the vision. The workers are few. You will face serious opposition. Now do what I tell you to do. And that doing what I tell you to do in the very next verses. This is the mission. This is exactly how he's going to deploy them, what he wants them to do from town to town. Now, now notice if you're looking at your NIV, it says town. This is maybe, maybe picking, a little picky, but in the Greek it's uh, uh, polis. It really means city. At, at that time, Jesus is sending them not just to little towns. We would consider them little towns, but these are actually cities. And we don't have time to look at the passage, but when they're away on this mission into the cities where the harvest would be plentiful because there are what? More people there. Jesus speaks of five cities, three of which he calls uh, down judgment upon them because they rejected his word. So this early mission strategy had everything to do with sending out these trained up, prepared disciples two by two to the cities. But we'll, we'll save that for another message. What's key here is the idea that Jesus wants them to fully depend on God. Look at verse four. Take no purse, man purse, woman purse. <laughs> Anyone use a man purse? Uh, no bag, no sandals, no extra provision. What's Jesus doing? He's saying, I want you to wait on the Lord for provision. What is he providing them with? The gospel? The spirit? So what about the, Pentecost hasn't happened yet, but clearly there's power and, and his presence. He says, I'll be with you. He's giving them the gospel, the spirit, and one another. <clears throat> and then look at this strategy. He says, don't stop to greet anyone on the road. So we're not talking about friendship evangelism, are we? I mean, this plan that Jesus has looks quite foreign to our way of reaching our neighbors. Just walk across the room, right, or invite a neighbor. No, Jesus says, don't stop to talk to anyone. That is not your divine appointment. Don't make friends with anybody. Go to the city. And notice the other details. He says, bless this, the house in which you, you enter. If they promote peace, in other words, if they are, are God-fearing, bless them and their, your peace will remain on them. Your blessing 
or remain on them. Stay there and receive and accept whatever they offer to you. Missions 101, they even been on a mission trip, you eat what you're served. I don't care if it's boiled fish heads, you're gonna eat what they serve you in that house, right? I'm seeing people nodding who've gone on mission trips. Could this be a foreshadowing of Luke's next book, the, the book of Acts, in which the gospel is taken to the Gentiles? We're gonna have that whole scene of the struggle of these, these Jewish believers and followers of Jesus, like Peter, who have to struggle with food issues. Maybe a foreshadowing. Jesus is saying to them, your mission has great risks, but even greater rewards. Find a location in the city where you are welcomed and set a camp there and go about my work. And what is the work exactly? Look at verses 9 to 11. Heal the sick. Heal the sick. And, and tell them exactly what I've taught you from the scriptures about, about the coming kingdom. Share with them everything that we learned. Everything we just talked about about the kingdom of God is like. You're prepared. Go and share that news. So he sends them with a happy vision of the harvest, a sober warning about, about wolves, and a hopeful promise of healing the sick. In, in, in Matthew's version, uh, in chapter 12, excuse me, in chapter 10, verse 7 to 8, when, when Jesus sends the 12, you can look at that in your own Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Jesus says, he's more specific with him, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Imagine if just one of those things happened here this morning. Imagine at the end of the service and we invite the boys to come, but imagine someone comes who has cancer and you feel prompted to come, lay a hand on their shoulder and say a simple prayer, Lord God, in Jesus' name, heal my brother's cancer. And they're healed. <laughs> imagine someone coming forward that's demon-possessed, and in Jesus' name, they're cast out by your prayer. Imagine someone whose life is falling apart. It's just a wreck. They're authentically coming to you. Let me be honest. I'm not going to fake it. I'm facing the hardest time. My family is breaking down. This is the toughest time. Can you pray for me? And Jesus says, pray, and there's restoration. Imagine all those things. And yet, even if all those things were to happen, and they were happening at that time, look at the very next thing Jesus says. With all those things happening, what's the next thing he says? And when, if and when, the people of that town reject you, warn them. Why would he say that? I mean, can you not, if someone's healed, why wouldn't everyone believe? Because Jesus knew that that was the case, because of people's hardened hearts because of their sinfulness, because of their desire to hold on to their little kingdoms and their little control. Didn't even matter if they saw miracles happening and healing. Jesus knew many would turn aside. And so he says here to warn them of what will happen. That whether they accept the truth or reject it and are blind to it, verse 11, tell them to be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So he sends them with purpose, 
a vision, a mission, clear instructions, and what happens? What's the result? Let me read to you. We're going to drop down to verse 17. Let's see what happens. Verse 17 on the screen. The 72 returned with joy uh, and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He sends the 72, these lambs among wolves, and they return with joy, saying, Lord, the demons submitted to us in your name. See what he can do through his people and for his glory when we go out on purpose. And I love that their report says nothing about their travels. It says nothing about where they stay. It says nothing about the menu. Why? Because all that falls away when they say, oh, demons were being cast out in your name, Jesus. It actually happened. Spiritual wins. Isn't that realistic? It's just, it's just popping off the table. Of course that's what would happen. Who would talk about tilapia or compass, whatever? Who cares about it was on the menu? People's lives are being restored and rescued. And how does Jesus respond to their enthusiasm? He shares with them another vision. It's a clarified vision. It's a refocusing of the vision. There's the big vision. It becomes very specific and unique to this particular calling. And now here he gives them even more. And, and when we look at this passage, look at verse 18. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the heaven, from heaven, and I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. There's a, a sense of this, of this vision being both past and present and future. In, in the past, there's a, an echoing here of the fall of the king of Babylon and, and, and the falling of the morning star of Lucifer in Isaiah 14. That happened in the past. In the future, we see uh, Revelation 19. We see Satan being bound and utterly defeated and cast into the lake of fire in the future. But there's also something happening here. Jesus is saying, when you're away, spread out. This is what was happening in a different dimension. This is what was happening in a place that you can't see, but I can see. Satan being cast down. Now verse 19, it's not an invitation. No, it's not, not an invitation for us to take up a snake handling ministry. Okay? It's not, let's not get carried away. Speaking of snakes and scorpions, Jesus is calling to the, he's pointing them to the, the power of the gospel. When was the gospel first preached? Genesis 3.15, right? Right, Joe? We talked about this. Where uh, the prophecy in the third chapter of the Bible says that uh, the serpent will, will nip at his heels, will, will, will nip at his heels, but he, the Messiah, will crush the serpent's head. This is what he's speaking to. Jesus is seeing it happen here. That Satan's end draws near. His power and influence teeter on the brink of extinction. 
So Jesus would then soon go to the cross where God, Colossians 2.15, would, quote, disarm the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by, by triumphing through him. Jesus saw Satan falling from his throne over this world. Jesus says, the spirit, my spirit, has been given to you. My spirit is within you, entrusted to you with authority in Jesus' name to fulfill my purpose, the rescue and restoration of the world. So imagine, church, through you, through ordinary daily habits, living as a believer, Christian discipleship, countercultural, uncompromising, living out kingdom implications in community, living like we're a family because you know what? We are a family. Jesus says, I will see my kingdom come and Satan fall. When the 72 seeing this vision become reality, Jesus reminds them, and this is, this is where we'll end, verse 20. Do not rejoice that the Spirit submits to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. As amazing as ministry is, and seeing kids grow up in this church, and we see kids going from preschool to coming on staff in our church. As amazing as all that is, all that we do for God's kingdom that brings joy, all the amazing things that we can see in the spiritual world, as amazing as all those things are, put in the proper perspective, what's most amazing is what Jesus will do on the cross. The greater blessing, he says to them, will be me securing your eternal salvation. Jesus called them on purpose. He gave them a vision and a mission. He brilliantly deploys them on, for a strategy, and there are supernatural results. Is that relevant for us today? You better believe it is. This is so relevant for our time and place and the life of the church at Maple Valley, what God is doing in this place. The, the, the calling on purpose and the vision are, are so similar. Virtually the same. Our vision statement and what we see here in Luke chapter 10. But now, the mission strategy, very, very different. So don't worry, we're not going to send you up two by two to, to go out to all the cities in the region. But, but the outcome, the vision and the outcome, the results of faithfully, radically following this lead, greater things can happen than we can ever possibly hope and imagine. The vision and mission focus of our church for the next five years is coming our way in September. You think, well, 2020, that's months away, Pastor Pete. It doesn't start in September. That's right. Because I want you to hear it and pray on it, and I want us to figure it out together. And are we committed to this together? Because we're going to hit the ground running in the new year. And we see a hopeful vision, a harvest ready. Workers aren't actually few. There's many. By God's grace, like the 72, we'll see this vision become a reality. And when we do, when we do, may we be reminded of the greater joy than the ministry accomplishments, than plans fulfilled. May it be the joy that your name is hidden with God. And that through you, 
We have the opportunity to see the children of God come, rescue, families restored, held out for a new life, and one going into eternity. Nothing is better than new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1, 4, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. As the worship team comes, we're going to sing one final uh, song to send us out. Let me pray for us. So Lord God, we pray that this vision, the mission that you've given to us, the strategy that you've laid before us, Lord God, we lay before you. We pray, Lord God, that this missional living, this calling on our life, Lord, would be fulfilled. You would get the glory. You'd get the praise. And along the way, Lord, we know there's going to be adversaries, there's going to be drama, there's going to be excuses. We know all these things that will happen that will be sobering, things that we need to see and prepare for. But we also know, Lord, that your plans and your kingdom will not be thwarted, that you already know the end. And we're here on purpose and for your purpose. We pray this in, in your precious name and all God's children's name. Amen. Amen.